All right, the book of Job. We're looking at the kind of classroom that God uses to teach about himself. And you can't, you can't really learn about God in a classroom only. Now, you can learn a lot of theology, but the best theology that you learn is practical. And when you go through a trial, God's there trying to teach you something about himself. I mean, you're going to learn some things about yourself. But the main thing is for you to learn about him because Jesus said this, this is life eternal that they might know thee. And if you get to know God and you get to trust him, it not only saves your soul, it stabilizes your mind and your life. So we're talking about a classroom, actually several classrooms God takes us to. Each classroom is a little harder than the other. So if you'll take your Bible, turn to Job chapter 1. We're going to read the same verse we read last week, but I want you to see a very powerful and important verse. Job chapter 1 and verse 20. Stand with me as we read these few verses. Job chapter 1, verses 20 and 21. And then you're going to go to Job chapter 2 and verse 8. Job chapter 1, verse 20. Let's begin. Then Job arose and rent his mantle and shaved his head and fell down upon the ground and worshipped and said, Naked came I out of my mother's womb and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Now to verse 8 of chapter 2. And he took him a potsherd to scrape himself withal and he sat down among the ashes. Now, when we, you may be seated, you may be seated. Now, when we start this thing, we're going back 2,000 years before Jesus, and Job is in school. Now, I guarantee you, he's had 10 children. He's not normal school age. I would guarantee he's well up in years, and yet God had to take him back to school. And uh, that ash heap that he was sitting in was God's classroom. That's hard to, it's hard to accept because we don't like that. But did you know two-thirds of the world goes through such struggle just to survive. They can relate to Job like we can't because we're spoiled. Because if, if, if we, if we don't get to watch our favorite show, if pastor goes on 10 minutes too long, we're upset. But there's a, the rest of the world understands, relates to Job and the sorrows and the grief and the disasters that he went through because that's how they live. So when God puts you in his classroom, sometimes it's on a pile of ashes. Do you know, I have found that a lot of good teaching goes on in the life of ash heaps. Here was a classroom filled with tools, and there were various classrooms that God is going to use teaching methods and lessons to explore and get Job to be in awe of God like he had never been before. Now, the fact of God's existence is self-evident. God never in the Bible says, oh, by the way, this is how you know I'm real. Because it ought to be obvious there is a designer, there's a creator, there is a God. So that we could be spending too much of our time trying to prove to people there's a God, whereas God's trying to show us what he's like, not just that he's there. So anything beyond the fact that God exists, however, is if I'm going to know him, he's going to have to explain himself. He's going to have to reveal himself. He's going to have to talk, and I listen. Romans chapter 11, verse 33 says this, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments, and his ways are past finding out. You're not going to just figure them out on your own, and even when you know them, you're never going to 
go, oh, I finished the book on God. No, no, no. God is beyond our comprehension. So God is going to reveal himself to Job through this trial. And I want to show you that's the same way that we learn about God. Um, so how do we learn about God? We talked last week. I showed you three things we learn about God in the following ways. One, in a class, how many of you ever had a secondary school where you had classrooms down the hall, each classroom going differently? We learned last week, I hope it works, yes. John 5.39, Jesus said, search the what? The scriptures. For in them you think you have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. So, the first class that God expects everyone to go to, to learn about God, is the Bible. That's where it all begins. So when somebody says, I wish I could know God, and you show them a Bible, they go, no, 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 I don't want to learn that. I want to, they're not going to find God. They're not going to know God. The first class you go to, if you want to know who God is, what he's like, is you go into the classroom of the scriptures. So guess what you're at tonight? You're in the classroom of the scriptures. Not so bad, is it? Yes, you had to get uh, off the couch, and yes, you had to get in the car, and you had to get to church on a Sunday night, but this is a classroom to learn about God. Secondly, we learned last week, we learned by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit teaches us. He's the great teacher using the scriptures to open up to us who Jesus is and who God is. Then we finished last week with a great down the hall, Job chapter 2, look in chapter 2, verse 3. The Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil? And still he holdeth fast his integrity, although thou movest me against him to destroy him without cause. Where was Job? He was going through suffering. And really, it is an extreme suffering for our benefit. God didn't have him only just have a, a broken fingernail. God didn't have him just lose a bank account, lose lose money in, on the stock market. God had him lose everything to teach just how valuable suffering is to the likes of us. So, we went down that hallway, but we're not through going down that hallway. God's got three more that I know of. I mean, there's probably 20, but there's three more classrooms we need to go through to learn what Job learned about God. You learn about God in three more classrooms. The first one I'm going to talk about is by searching and seeking and thirsting to know him. you got to go into a class that you want to get into. At some point, you're, 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 you're learning book learning. You're in school because you have to be there. Your parents make you. But there comes a day where you need to decide, I want to go here now. I want to know more. And that is where many of you fail because you're only doing the bare minimum. You're letting pastor teach you, but you never hunger to learn more. And that is a shame because God is there for those who look for him, who search for him, who hunger for him. Secondly, through sharpening. Notice all the S's. <clears throat> um, through sharpening. And that's where somebody else is in your life and challenging you what you believe. Not everybody who is put in your life is actually friendly to you. But you may have a boss, you may have a co-worker, you may have a brother or sister, you may have a parent who's constantly uh, pointing out things and asking you hard questions. That's God putting you in a classroom. Because when you're sharpened, when it, when it sharpens you, it makes you better in what you really, really believe about God. Not just 
what everybody else believes. Third, through the silence of God. And I decided I'm just going to introduce this subject because the silence of God is too big. Next week, well, no, two weeks from now, um, uh, it will it will just blow you away of how valuable it is when God goes silent in your life. And I guarantee you, it will be the opposite of what you expect because we need God to move. We need God to step in and say, hey, I'm here, don't worry. And God just sits there and goes, I'm not saying anything, bud. And when God is silent, it actually proves some wonderful things. We'll talk about that next, next time. Uh, but let me go on to the first one. So, Job chapter 23. We're going to move ahead. And you learn about God by searching. And you thirst to know Him. What was that? What's that very famous verse I love to quote? In Philippians chapter 3, verse 10. That I might know Him. So there's this desire to know Him. Job chapter 23, verse 3. Job chapter 23, and verse 3. To five. Oh, that I knew where I might find him. Who's talking? You might want to take a guess. Look at verse one. Job. Oh, that I knew where I might find him. That I might even come to his seat. Oh, I would order my cause before him. And I would fill my mouth with arguments. I would know the words which he would answer me. And I would under, and, and would understand what he would say unto me. I just wanted to talk to me. Go to um, Psalm 63 and verse 1. You're in Job. We'll come back to Job in a minute. But Psalm 63, verse 1 and 2. What is Job doing? Job says, I wish I could find him. I'm looking for God. I want God to, to, to be somewhere that I could go and I could just debate with him and, and put my arguments forth and say why and hear his answers. But he wasn't the only one that had the desire. Psalm 63 and verse 1 says, Oh God, Thou art my God. Early will I, what's the next two words? Seek thee. My soul thirsteth for thee. Remember when you used to have a pet sin before you got saved, hopefully you got the victory over, that you just, that every weekend came along and you couldn't wait. You were just dying to go to be with the buddies, to go down to the pub, to go and do something with everybody else and you just ached to just go there. But now that you're saved, you ought to ache to search for Jesus, search for the Lord. My soul searches for thee. My flesh, even my own body, longeth for thee in a dry and thirsty land where no water is. What was he wishing? Verse 2, he was desiring to see God's power and God's glory. So have I have seen thee in the sanctuary. So if you understand verse 2, he says, you know, I've seen with my mind's eye through the reading of the scriptures, I've seen what you've done in the past. I want to see you do it now. And I search for you, God. Now, Job obviously thought he knew God. He thought he understood how God worked. And there's plenty of us who think, oh, yeah, I understand. I can trust God. You know, I know that when I'm in a trial, when I'm in a trouble, God's going to deliver we think we know all that God's going to do for us. We know how, we always know He's going to come on time. He's never going to let us be pushed out beyond ourselves. Oh, we got it all figured out. And then God says, eh, eh, you don't. Job thought he knew God. But this event in his life where everything falls out from under him challenged everything he thought he believed. 
which is part of God's classroom. Did you know great schools teach you to think? Great schools do not tell you what to think. Great schools teach you to challenge and to test and to verify and to prove. Does not God say, prove me now herewith? He does. He invites people to put him to the test. Don't just have your parents' faith, even though that's a pretty good idea. Don't just have your parent, your pastor's faith. Get your own faith. Decide that I'm going to search out. I'm going to find out what is right. I'm going to find out what's right to wear. I'm going to find out what's right to do. I'm going to find out where's where. Who, what's the right kind of guy to marry? What kind of girl to to, uh, to to search for? I'm going to try to find out how to raise my children. I am going to search out these answers. Amen. Often we spend a lot of time just waiting for somebody to tell us what to do. When God says, I'd like to. I'd like to. For most of her history, Israel couldn't have cared less about God's ways. Even God says it. He says, they they didn't want to know my ways. They They erred in their heart because they did not know my ways. They only wanted their own way. Isaiah 53 verse 6 says, All we like sheep have gone astray and turned everyone to their own ways. That's us. Israel was like, eh, God, we're not interested. And so God, if you read your Old Testament, you see God taking Israel through lesson after lesson after lesson, classroom after classroom, sometimes disaster after disasters. The prophets would always teach about God's view of their sin. They would always expose the stubbornness of God's people. But they always would point to the commitment of God. You ought to read the book of Hosea and the illustration of Hosea going out and marrying a harlot and having children by that harlot. And then the harlot goes back to her old ways and God says to Hosea, go back and get her. By the way, the harlot's name was Gomer. Can you imagine being married to a woman named Gomer? He says, stay in love with that woman even though she doesn't love you because that's how I love Israel. So you'll see throughout the Old Testament, you see God teaching a classroom to Israel. So Job hungered to understand God's way. Go back to Job chapter 23. I think I read this. Yes, I did. But I'll read it again because it's good. (laughs) Job chapter 23 and verse 3. Oh, that I knew where I might find him, that I might come even to his seat. I would order my cause before him and fill my mouth with arguments. I would know the words which he would answer me. I want to know what he would tell me. And I want to understand what he would say unto me. That's a right desire. So, there is a need for us to search for God and search for Christ. Go to Jeremiah 29. Jeremiah chapter 29. God delights. Who can quote? uh, I bet Brother Dan can quote it. Let's see if somebody else can quote Hebrews 11.6. Raise your hand. Who can quote Hebrews 11.6? Oh, come on. But without faith, yes. All right, what's the key part of that verse that relates to what we're learning here? Yes, and he's a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. 
All right, so Jeremiah chapter, what did I say, 29? 29, 13. And you shall seek me and find me. He's not saying, I'm going to go hide so that you can't find me. He says, you shall seek me and find me, but only when you shall search for me with all your brain, right? No. You know why God allows trials? Are you ready? You ready, Naomi? You know why God puts you on the ash heap? Because that's when your heart is so hungry for something. Your brain may be calculating, you know, everything and trying to add up and trying to figure out. And God says, put that aside. Don't lean on your understanding. Trust the Lord with all your heart. And so it usually takes a disaster for our heart to go, okay, God, what do you want? Amen? So we need to search. Now it begins in the Bible. The greatest challenge that is easiest is to find Christ in every page of your Bible. Search for Christ in every page. Search for Christ in every promise that God makes. Because in the promises of God is the very presence of Almighty God. He says, I'll be there. If you'll trust that promise, I will be there. In every dark valley you go through, your Savior is there. So how do you know that? Because the Bible says he's the lily of the... Amen, not the mountaintop. So look for him in that valley you go through. What does Paul say? Sorry, what does David say in Psalm 23? Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. So <clears throat> in every defeat... Guess what? God doesn't go, oh, you blew it. I'm out of here. <laughs> you know what he says? In every defeat, he's there. Look for him. Joseph, Job could have given up and quit everything in his life, but instead, he sought God at this time of his life. Go to Job. You're in, uh, back to Job chapter 23 in verse 8 now. Job 23 in verse 8. Job 23 and verse 8 says this. Behold, I go forward. Listen to his heart here. Listen to his groan. Behold, I go forward, but he is not there. Backward, but I can't perceive him. On the left hand, where he doth work. I know he's working there, but I can't behold him. He hideth himself on the right hand that I cannot see him. Verse 10. But he knoweth the way that I take. And when he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. Is that a good verse? Isn't that awesome? So search for God and for Christ like your life depends upon it. I don't think, we, we tried to deal with it when we went to the men's camp. We talked about Isaac. One of the besetting sins of Isaac was he was a laid back believer. He didn't really passionately have a prayer life. He trusted God, but when his wife didn't have children, he sort of said, that's okay. I know we're going to have children, so we'll just wait. It took 20 years before his wife finally got him to pray, and when the first time he prayed and asked God to open her womb, she had a baby. He was too laid back. He wasn't like he really needed God. He was the son of Abraham. Who needs God if you're the son of Abraham? Isaac did. And so do you and I. You cannot expect... That when you were having troubles last year and you were really seeking God, that you don't need Him still today. Passionately search and seek for God. 
But I'm going to say this, searching is not enough to know God. To know God, you must begin with the words of Scripture. You must learn to listen for the Holy Spirit to teach you. You must experience hard situations in life. And you need to determine to search for answers, search for peace, search for uh, the presence of God. But there's another thing, and that's through sharpening. I don't know if you will appreciate this, but this is great humor. Look at Job 32, verse 4. Um, who's got a, a, a Bible search thing? Um, I'm looking for the word comforter in the book of Job. Comforters. Comforters in the book of Job. That's what I'm looking for. Somebody can search for that and find that for me. Huh? Who's, uh, somebody look it up quickly. Find me comforters because I didn't write it down. Anybody find it? No, it's Job 16.2. First go to Job 16.2, because this is priceless, okay? Job 16, verse 2. This is absolutely priceless. Verse 1 says, then Job answered. Now, he's got three friends with him, and he says, I have heard many such things. Pause. There's a colon there. What's the next say? Miserable comforters are ye all. (laughs) Who's he talking about? His three friends. But I'm going to say this. Those three friends were part of Job's classroom. They were just as important as the scriptures are. Now go to Job chapter 32. Job 32 and verse 4. See, God gave to Job three friends and they were not nice. They were not compassionate. They were miserable comforters. He's, those are some of the lowest feeling words you could express. He says, you've done nothing but hurt me more. Look at chapter 32, verse 4. Not only did he give him his three friends to sharpen him, he also gave him a guy named Elihu, who is actually the author of the book of Job. And in verse uh, 4, now Elihu had waited till Job had spoken because they were... Uh, they, all of them, were wise, were elder than he. And when Elihu saw that there was no answer in the mouth of these three men, then his, Elihu's wrath was kindled. Verse 11 now. Behold, Elihu saying, I waited for your words. I gave ear to your reasons while ye searched out what to say. And then he lays into Job. And he lays into those three friends. So you can imagine, where is Job sitting? He's on a, on a pile of ashes where you take the trash out and you burn the rubbish. And that's where he's sitting. He's scraping his skin to bring some sort of relief from the pus and from the boils and from the fever. And he's laying there and he's got four feet. His wife has abandoned him. These four men are just tearing him to shreds. And you think, well, that's of the devil. No, not Not so quick. Because who's in charge? It was God. Now, I don't doubt that the devil was stirring them up to say some evil things. But God said, this is Job's classroom. 
And what God was doing was God was sharpening Job. He wanted, God wanted to sharpen his understanding of who he was. Go to Proverbs chapter 27. Proverbs chapter 27 and verse 17. Just for time, I'm not having you read, so I'm reading. Proverbs 27, 17. <clears throat> All right. Noodles sharpeneth irons. Is that what it says? No. Leather sharpens iron. No. Um, what will sharpen iron? Okay. So if you're going to ever have to sharpen a knife, you've got to have something sharper than that knife. And God puts into your life usually somebody who you want to give you a hug when they give you something that scrapes against the grain. Iron sharpeneth iron, so a man sharpeneth the countenance of his friend. You can actually change the very emotions of your friend. And that's a good thing to do. It is actually a lost art where people can debate and argue without getting angry. When's the last time that people can sit down and have a difference of opinion without saying, I'm never talking to you again? <clears throat> what? People will debate and argue about everything except important things today. People are arrogant and they're unwilling to respect other opinions and other thoughts and they will not just sit and shut up and listen to somebody else. They always, and I'm preaching to all of us, they will always say, but, 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 but I got something else to say. Shut up. If somebody is saying something that's hurting you, take it. Because God may have sent them. You say, I know it's the devil. Not always. As a matter of fact, Sometimes you're put in that place. It's God saying, Job, don't fight it. Listen to these guys. Some of the things that what they say are off the wall, but some of the things they say will train you and sharpen you so that you know me. <clears throat> Go to Acts chapter 17. Acts 17. Acts 17 and verse 2. Paul... When he got into a town, guess what he got busy doing? Debating. Preaching. Challenging. Discussing. Acts chapter 17, verse 2. Well, verse 1. Now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where was a synagogue of the Jews, and Paul, as his manner was, that was his habit, he went in unto the people, the Jews in the synagogue, and three Sabbath days he reasoned with them out of the scriptures. He didn't just go in and preach and they sit and listen. He would say something and they would say something back. He would present something and they would go, yeah, but what about this? That is part of sharpening. You need somebody in your life and sometimes God puts them there without you asking. <laughs> but you need someone in your life who will go, yeah, but what about this? And we're afraid of that. Go to chapter 18 now, verse 4, still in Acts, 18.4. Here's... Paul, and he reasoned in synagogues every Sabbath. He reasoned and he persuaded the Jews and the Greeks. Do not just take it for granted that what you understand of God is all there is to know about God. The best friend you've got is somebody who will say, wait a minute, are you sure? The best friend you've got will say, oh, you're, 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 you're not, you're not, you're not thinking this thing through. Have you thought about this? Here's Paul, he actually stood on Mars Hill, and he actually stood up there and he began to challenge a city through their leaders. 
to think that maybe they had missed God. They had an idol to the unknown God. He says, I want to tell you about the guy you don't even know. And he challenged them. He reasoned with them. You know what? Uh, Paul had people challenge him. Barnabas did that. James did it in Acts chapter 21. James says, Paul, you're a little bit too gracy. We need you to bring back. You need to do some things like a Jew. And he listened. And you know what? He humbled himself. And he listened to somebody else instead of him going, you know, I'm the apostle Paul. You're not going to tell me what to do. Be careful. We need someone to help us test what we think is right and what we think is the will of God. That's why God gave you a married partner. That's why God gave you your husband, your wife. That's why God gave you a pastor. That's why God gives you Christian friends that you think are your enemies. Because they don't agree with you. doesn't matter whether they agree or not. Listen to them. Because these four men sharpened. I don't have a picture of all four. That's his wife there. But sharpened Job. God calls us to even reason through the scriptures to know him. Isaiah 118 says, Come now, let us reason together. Let your sins be as scarlet. <laughs> they shall be as white as snow. God challenges us to allow him to test what we think about forgiveness. Oh, that we had an art of conversation again at the table. Deuteronomy 6 says what? says, when thou sittest in thine house, when you walk by the way, talk about me. Challenge your kids. Who made that mountain? Who made that star? Who made you? Well, how big is he? Let your kids ask. Can, can, can God do anything? Yes, God, well, no. <laughs> God cannot sin. So all of a sudden, he challenges you. And you go, well, yeah, but no, God can't do anything. He cannot sin. Amen? He cannot lie. So your children may challenge you. Your grandchildren will challenge you. Let them challenge you. And get into the conversation. At the office, somebody will mock you and go, are you a Bible thumper? Well, yeah, I want to use it right now. No. You, um, uh, but at the office, as people are talking, and they come and they point at you, and they just want to humble you, humiliate you, and tear apart your faith, pray and say, Lord, give me something to say that will make them think. You know, I, I, I have to be honest with you. I want more than anything for our church meetings to be where we come in hungry and that when we know that what the Bible said has been preached, that we go, I agree. So be it. Amen. I, I, I wish and I yearn that we would be so hungry that we would let the Word of God challenge us, not just the person next to us. That every one of us would come saying, whatever God says do, I will do. We're a little bit too stiff. Nod your head. We're a little bit too, Pastor, you're not going to move me. You know, there's a hymn in the Bible called, I shall not be, I shall not be moved. <laughs> but that, that hymn is about not being moved from the love of Christ. But a lot of people sing it, you're not going to move me from my bad attitude. You're not going to move me where I will actually agree with you, Pastor. No, we need that. We need that somebody, and I believe this with all my heart, and that is, it is by the foolishness of preaching, not the smartness. If I say something, oh, my wife will look at me and she go, and I go, oh, why did I say that? But I'm telling you, a flawed pastor preaching, stuttering, spitting, 
saying things that he's embarrassed, I shouldn't have said that or whatever, is better than you listen to that stupid television. It's better than you being influenced by all the books and all the videos and all the YouTubes, all accumulated. Just one foolish preacher ought to be able to have an effect on you because of the Word of God more than all the rest of the world. Amen. Amen. Sharpening. You need to let this preacher sharpen you. If I make you upset, it might be good. Amen. But even that's not enough. We're going to finish with this. But the... um. Uh, what was the first one? Was the one before sharpening? My brain's not working. Searching, sharpening, searching's not enough to know God. Sharpening other people, challenging you, is not going to get you all the way there. The final classroom down that hallway is the silence of God. I'm only going to start on this. Go to Job chapter 13. Job chapter 13. And this is usually the hardest classroom to stay in. <laughs> Most everybody sort of bows out in this classroom. Now, when we talk about the silence of God, we're not talking about your silence, although that's a good way to live. <laughs> what, is, what does it say in Psalm 46? It says, be still and know that I am God. So a good place to start is for you to shut up, for you to be silent. But we're talking about God being silent. Listen to Job's struggle with God's silence. Job 13, verse 24. Job cries out and says this, Wherefore, wherefore is often there a why? Wherefore hidest thou thy face? And holdest me for thine enemy. How come you're hiding? Why are you treating me this bad like an enemy? Go to chapter 23 and verse 3. It's almost in every other chapter that Job asks, God, why aren't you, why aren't, why aren't you talking to me? Job 23 and verse 3. Oh, that I knew where I might find him. That I might come even to his seat. I would order my case, my cause before him and fill my mouth with arguments. Again, that same verse of saying, I, you, you don't want to be found, it seems, God. Chapter 30, verse 20. 30, 20. 3020. I cry unto thee, Job says, and thou dost not hear me. I stand up and thou regardest me not. I'm over here. I'm going, hey, God, I'm right here and you don't even notice me. One more. Chapter 31, verse 35. Oh, that one would hear me. Behold, my desire is that the Almighty would answer me that mine adversary would have written a book. I mean, he, he doesn't even know that somebody's writing a book. <laughs> he doesn't even realize that God's there. You know, when God is silent, I'll give you a secret. When God is silent, he is at work. He never, he never slumbers, he never sleeps. He's never distracted. Like when, when my wife's talking to me and she talks a little long about something and I kind of go, oh. she says, did you hear what I last said? I'm like, no. <laughs> See, God doesn't let his mind wander. Job, however, didn't know that. He says, I wish someone would hear me, because God's not. I wish that the Almighty would just answer me. So, here's the thought. 
silence is easily misunderstood. You know, <clears throat> if you're talking to somebody, if I was talking to Patrick, and Patrick just sort of acted like I wasn't there, didn't even look at me, how would I feel? I'd be very upset. I said, are you listening to me? I'm talking to you. That's how we feel when God doesn't seem to be responding. And when God is not speaking, it is easy for us to imagine. All right, let me give you an example. Okay, so my wife, I'm talking to my wife here, and she's ignoring me. Um, I was going to say something funny, but I won't. But she's ignoring me. And <laughs> it was funny, but anyway, she's ignoring me. It is easy for me to imagine what she's thinking. And I'm usually wrong. Is that true? You ever seen the story of the guy and, 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 and his uh, wife, and they're, they're in the car, and the wife is, I don't know if I remember this exactly right, but he's, he's sitting there, and she's sitting there going, oh, we've had the best of holidays. Oh, it's been wonderful being with my husband. Like my husband not saying anything. And I wonder if he was happy. I wonder if he's not happy with me. I wonder if my husband was, is, is wanting to be with someone else. I wonder if my husband, and she's digging herself into a pit. And the husband's going, well, I gotta check the transmission here when I get home, you know. <laughs> Sometimes when somebody's not talking, we can imagine everything wrong. And when God doesn't speak, do we get in the habit of trying to figure out what is God doing? So silence is easily misunderstood and it makes us feel all alone. So let me, let me tell you this. God is understood by his silence as much as by his speaking. And has God spoken, yes or no? So if he has spoken this much, his silence is just as valuable. His silence is not a rejection of us. But his silence is just the other half of the coin. And I'll describe this in two weeks. You understand him by his silence just as much as you do by his spoken word. By the way, conclusion, let me finish this up. You can find God and know him personally, deeply, and really. If you'll take all of his classes. You say, oh, I read the Bible. Uh, have you been in through any sorrow? Oh no, daddy always pays my bills. Daddy always makes sure that I've got food on the table. Daddy always dresses me in the best clothes. Oh, I would never, I would never have a problem in my life. Then you have not learned about God. Amen? You need to take all of God's classes if you want to know all about God. Secondly, remember that classroom? Just that, that, that hallway? There are a lot of classrooms that God takes us to. We usually are kicking and screaming going in them. What are his classes? The scriptures are class number one. The Holy Spirit is class number two as we read. Suffering. And we're not just talking westernized suffering. We're talking about hard suffering, loss, end of the road, wall, end of, 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 of life. You're like, what do I do? This is the end. No, God's there. That is where God is. By searching, that's a class you need to learn how to search and seek and thirst to know him where it's you wanting it. By mature, by maturing through sharpening of other people who challenge you and make you test, what do I really believe? Some of the best, I was at Bible college. I went four years to Bible college. I learned a lot of theology, but I learned just as much theology knocking on doors, dealing with all kinds of nutcases. 
I mean, you, you talk to somebody, you, you just tell them, says, what would, uh, uh, what would you believe is, 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 is gonna get you into heaven? And they'd say, well, I'm a good person. That's easy to answer. But then you get somebody to say, oh, well, I keep the Sabbath. You know, the Bible says you gotta keep the Sabbath. Well, as a new Christian, I go, well, sure, I just believe Jesus. I know you gotta believe Jesus and keep the Sabbath. You know what that forced me to do? Go home and study it out. So I had an answer for the next guy who said that you had to keep the Sabbath. And sharpening will make you make you better. But the last class is God's silence. So whatever class you're in, a good student listens and learns because God is always teaching. Sometimes he's teaching very quietly. Let's pray. Father, I ask that these thoughts and, and this message, God, would not be quickly forgotten, but that when we do go through the valley of the shadow of death, when we do experience what seems like unbearable burdens, when things are not going well, that we would remember that you're there, and that we just need to draw close to you and learn of you. Jesus, when you were on earth, You were a poor man. You walked around everywhere. You looked so plain and simple. You didn't look like you could carry the world. And yet you said to anybody and everybody, come unto me and I'll give you rest. Lord, we need, we need to do that. We need to desire that, Lord, I don't know you like I should and I want to. And so however you have me, wherever you have me, I want to listen. I want you to. Teach me. I don't want you to teach pastor anymore. I want you to teach me now about you. Because I need you. Not to be puffed up, not to show off, but because I need you. Just to breathe, just to live, just to be sane. So Lord, I ask you to help me, help all of us, to learn to, to in those classrooms, to learn. In Jesus' name.